Yeah, so we're reading from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 15, which is on page 1049. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? Three thousand litres of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifteen hundred. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? Thirty tons of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill, and make it twenty-four. The master commended the dishonest manager, because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be, on, be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Thanks, Luke, for reading that. Keep that open in front of you and let me pray as we come to look at these words. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the things we've already heard and thought about tonight. And we're conscious that our, our true poverty or wealth is not really measured in our finances, but in our knowledge of you. And so we ask, uh, would you make us rich uh, through these rich words um, that point us towards the Lord Jesus and how to keep trusting him? Amen. Um, well, I'm, I feel slightly hesitant tonight because... Um, I've got a picture I was going to show you um, in a moment. And a picture of a woman that some might regard as, well, well just plain provocative, really. Um, it's the kind of picture that I guess you could say the reaction it produces is, is lust. Um, the kind of picture that makes people tend to act in, in foolish ways. And even if, even if they don't have the opportunity to act it out, they'll often be thinking what they might be able to do if they could just get their hands on her. Um, look, let me show you. This is it. Here's the picture. It's funny, isn't it? The picture of a lady. People think about her a lot, don't they? That particular picture. 
Lots of people want to get their hands on it. It was J.D. Rockefeller, the billionaire businessman, who was once asked, how much money is enough? And his famous, if flippant, reply was, just a little bit more. Uh, that's how much is, is enough, just, just a little bit more. It's often the case, isn't it? People want to get hold of money. But you sometimes suspect it's money that gets hold of people. But we've been thinking about over these past few weeks, if you've been here as we've done this stewardship series, we've been thinking of ourselves in God's world, not as possessors of things in any kind of independent way, but as stewards of the resources that God has given us. And, and tonight as we think about money, we're, we're looking at this funny little parable. Uh, some of you might have heard it this morning. You might have read it before. And it's, it's an intriguing one, isn't it? Verse 1, there's a dishonest manager who's been wasting his master's possessions. And the master finds out. Awkward moment at work. Uh, the master finds out and calls him to give an account. Verse 2 of chapter 16. Uh, he's going to lose his job. His future's certain. In a day or two, he's going to be out in his ear, P45 in hand. And it's not, it's not unkind, it's not uncalled for. He's been dishonest, but while he's dishonest, he's certainly not daft. That's verse 3, isn't it? The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. And he thinks for a moment. I know what I'll do so that... When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And you read on in verses 5 to 7. He called in each of his master's debtors and asked, Look, how, how much do you owe? How, how, much, how much money do you owe? And then he reduces their bills in a most generous fashion. It's a funny little bit in this story. There's some debate as to what he's doing. Is he... Is he just stealing from his master again? Or is he, is he cutting the interest for what he was responsible for setting? Or is he just removing his own commission? I don't, you can read up different things about this. People take different views. Oh, I, I tend to want to be a little bit positive towards him at this, at this stage and think he's not being dishonest this time. But whatever it is, the point is he is acting in a way that's advantageous for his future. That's what he's doing. And the master hears, and he kind of reacts. You get his reaction in verse 8. You can imagine maybe he's out for lunch with some other uh, business colleague, and he, and he says, do you, remember that, do you remember that dishonest manager, Scott, I was telling you about? You know, the guy that was, that was ripping me off, and I, I had to sack him. You'll never guess You'll never guess what he's done on the way out, how he set things up for himself. You've got to take your hat off to him. He's done a smart move. That's verse 8. The, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. Now, the lesson is not, it's not look steal from your employers. If you've got an opportunity at work, when the expenses come around, nobody will notice. Just put a bit extra on. Take some of those post-it notes home. Pens from the office, they're fine. Shove them in your pocket. And don't worry, it's just being shrewd. And Jesus commends it. No, no, that's, that's, not, that's not the point. The point is there in verse 8, isn't it? For the people of this world, 
are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Jesus is saying, look, people of the world, people are not really bothered about God, not, not really religious, don't think too much about him. They think they know how life works. And they think they understand what the future holds. And from that kind of viewpoint, they, they act in light of that. And you know what I mean. You, you'll have friends who, who are just, they always seem to be really good at making money. They've always got deals going on. It's not, it's not just people who are not Christians that do this, but you, you know people like that. They, they, know, they know where to get a deal. They know how to make the right moves. Buying property at the right time selling at the right time, moving jobs at just the right time. It seems to just advance their career. They, they always seem to be on the up. Christians, on the other hand, that's what Jesus means by the people of the light. He's saying, look, they really have been told. We really have been told how life works. And we, we do know what the future holds, but he's saying, look, by the way they live sometimes, you'd almost think they've got their eyes closed. And Jesus isn't saying to us, look, he isn't saying just be like the people of the world. He's not saying just be like people who are not really bothered about God. But he is saying, look, learn from the way they act wisely and shrewdly with temporary things and apply that in light of eternal things. It's not necessarily wrong to buy property now or to invest your finances sensibly or to to change your job and advance your career, as long as you remember, when this life's over, bricks and mortar won't house you. You'll need something else. When this life's over, pounds or euros or dollars won't have a favorable exchange rate anymore. You'll need a different currency. When this life's over, you'll be faced with only one master, who can employ you. And then, when you get there before him, you'll want him to like your CV. So what will being a good steward of money look like? Here's a few things Jesus says. Here's the first one. Use money generously. Show you'll be at home with God. That's what we mean by it. Use money generously to show you'll be at home with God. Verse 9 can't remember it. Let me read it again. I tell you, says Jesus, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And you you see the contrast Jesus is picturing there. He says there's eternal dwellings. There is a place that really will last. And money about which Jesus can say, when it is gone. We had people around for lunch today, and we had on the table squishy cream, squirty cream. You know that stuff. Um, it's amazing. When I was younger, it was the height of sophistication. That and Viennetta. I don't know why. It just seems, mint Viennetta seems horrific now, but that with squirty cream. But I used to love the squirty cream when you, you press it and it comes out. It's great fun, but it doesn't last. Uh, you leave it for more than about 45 seconds and it kind of dissolves into this kind of, I mean, it was mush to start with, but it kind of becomes even worse. And you, you make the most of it. Eat it quickly. Eat it quickly while you can. And Jesus is saying, look, in some ways, money's a bit like that. It's temporary. Make the most of it. But there is a way to use it that can have eternal value. 
Spend now. Enjoy forever. Now that would be a shrewd move. And he talks about gaining friends who welcome you in. And it's, it's a little parallel with the dishonest manager. And you wonder, well, who's doing the welcoming in this case? Perhaps it's just people who benefited from Jesus' followers being generous with them. But it might be that. But in previous parables in Luke, it, it's often God through Jesus who's doing the welcoming into eternal dwellings. I use it in a way so that you'll be welcomed by him. And and notice Jesus calls money worldly wealth, but the, the word he uses there, the word that we've got translated worldly wealth, it's, it's more like unrighteous wealth. Wealth that's opposed to God. What does he mean by describing money in that kind of way? I guess you'll know if you stop and think about it. In this world, money seems to have a strange effect on it, on it, a certain pull on it very often. No matter how much we've got, just a bit like J.D. Rockefeller, we want a bit more. We become greedy. And it's not so much money. It's not that money is wrong in itself. It's us. It's the way, it's the way our sinful hearts work. They love to repeat the phrase, that's mine. It's for me. Money often leads us to live in a way that's unrighteous. It opposes God. It's selfish and it's foolish. And when Jesus says, look, use worldly wealth to gain friends so you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings, this isn't buying your way into heaven. Now, that's a free gift only from God, and he gives it to anyone who'll trust Jesus. But Jesus, remember, he's talking to disciples here, and he's saying to them, look, if, if you really do trust me, if you have if you are beginning to set the course of your life to follow me, then it should be seen in the way you live. So use money generously. Show that you'll be at home with God, that eternal dwellings are the place where you want to be welcomed. It would be terrible, wouldn't it, to hear on that day, no, you're not welcome here. And why would you even want to come? Because you've, you've lived your life showing that you don't even share any of the values of this place. Now use money generously. And I think, look, with all that, there's encouragements for us as a church family. God's blessed many of us, most of us, with jobs. And setting aside some to support the work of the church family, many give generously. And Jesus would say, that's not just something you do. Not just a tick box. No, that's shrewd giving, and he commends it. And if you've been here over the past few weeks, maybe you've been, you've been thinking about hospitality from last week as Steve was speaking about it, how you use your home and then how you use your time and rest. And perhaps, as a community, we want to think about these Sundays, what we do with them, a different day for the Lord with our families, our friends, our community. It's a good thing, isn't it? Some people who gather together and invite others in going out for lunch after the morning service. Maybe we all do that already, but it'd be a good thing to think about. We budget our money to make our Sunday meals just a bit bigger, a bit better. We say to our families, this is the best day of the week. It's resurrection day. We stop our work 
to celebrate. We gather as a church family and then we, we spend some more money. We blow it all on squirty cream today. Chocolate pudding, we cover it in that kind of stuff and we invite others around. Church family, neighbors, kind of impact it might have just as we open up our homes generously to people, inviting them in. What a shrewd investment. To be generous with something as temporary as your money, as your home, to provide a day and a place to invest in people in the hope they'll enjoy eternity forever. I use money generously. I show you'll be at home with God. And here's the second thing. Look, use money responsibly. Show God you're trustworthy. In verses 10 to 12, Jesus seems to have in mind uh, living with uh, the future in view again. And you see what he assumes about the future in verse 11. He, he's assuming that someone is considering entrusting you with true riches. In verse 12, he's assuming someone's considering giving you property of your own. I don't know if you've made it onto the property ladder yet, whether you're still saving up a deposit, looking to get your first house. Here's a thought from the Bible. Someone is just considering giving you property one day. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? The context is God's future kingdom, where God will share out true riches and responsibility. And we're told in verse 10 how God will decide how he'll do that. You see it? Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. And Jesus' words is you, you ponder those and you, you think on them. They're kind of like pieces, in some ways, of a jigsaw puzzle. And as you put them together, they start to build a picture of character. And God, and life now, and the life to come, and character, according to Jesus, character is character. What you really like shows itself in the little things as much as the big. That's what he's saying. And God, as Jesus describes him, is, is not wanting to keep things from us. No, he's generous. He's designed life with the intention of sharing things with you, giving things to you. And life now, says Jesus, whatever we've got, whatever you've got, I don't know what your bank account's like, but he says, whatever you've got, they're the little things. However much you've got, they're just the little things, and they've been given on trust. We're stewards of the things God's given, and he's, he's watching you. Our Heavenly Father is watching you to see if you're trustworthy. His concern is that your character develops. It's not the only way, but how you handle money is one way we'll see character. And you, you might think, yeah, you might be here, and you might be thinking, I'm only a teenager. I only get an allowance. Money I get from babysitting. It seems like that's quite profitable around Cambridge. Somebody told me some of their family got 75 quid for babysitting for one night. And I thought, give them my number. I'll do it. And then I read this passage and I feel the Lord saying, down, David. Look at the way you're after money already. As soon as you hear about it, another way to get a little bit more. Even if you're a teenager and you think, I only got a little amount, I only get an allowance, there's not very much, I've got a bit of a part-time job. Understand Jesus is saying, it's not how much you've got. 
It's not what he's looking at. It's your character. You becoming trustworthy. How do you use the resources God gives? Does your, does your money all get spent on you, on clothes, music downloads, phone upgrades? These things that are in light of eternity as temporary as squirty cream. And when was the last time you sat down even with your little amount? With your little amount. You think about that passage. We were around two weeks ago, we looked at the feeding of the 5,000. Five loaves, two fish. Look what Jesus does with it. You ever sit down with the little amount you've got and think seriously, how could I use this little to serve Jesus Christ in some way? Buy a Christian book for a friend. Help them pay for a summer camp if they can't afford it. Start saving even just two pounds a week so at the end of the year you've got 100 pounds sitting there. You can give it to something else, some other way. And you understand as well, if character's the issue, then it could also be true. Week by week, you're the biggest giver here. You give loads. But the thing is, you hardly notice. And your large surplus is all spent on you, and God looks on you and the teenager, and it's not your money he notices, it's your character. And I guess as well, there might be some of us, and we don't really like the situation we're in. Maybe it's single income. Maybe it's really low income. Maybe it's between jobs and things feel really tight. Finances are difficult and the pressure of unrighteous wealth feels all too real. And you know, or I hope you do, that in that situation, look, there's no push to give more at church. We're not just after money in that kind of way. The, the way it works at church, there's those of us who can give more into things and those who can't, we all share and we support each other. But where money's tight, it may feel like cold comfort to hear that the little you have has been entrusted to you by God. That somehow, even with that, it's helping you grow as a trustworthy disciple. But it doesn't feel like cold comfort when you think of the life to come. And the Lord Jesus saying to you in his new creation, you and me, Let's go for a walk. And he chats to you about some of these tough times in your life. And what he says astounds you. And you start to see how in his grace, some of those things made you the person you are. And then he says, now, now I've got some big plans I want to tell you about. A project for you to head up. It's a little challenging, but you'll be great. And I'm sure you'll love it. And the Lord who has watched your character develop in the little things loves you knows you by name and he likes your CV for the life to come it's quite a thought isn't it on that day talking with the Lord use money responsibly show God you're trustworthy now look here's the, the last thing it's, it's choose to serve God show money who you love I told this joke this morning. It didn't work well, but I'm going to do it again anyway. So humor me. Help me. Did you hear about the Scotsman who dropped 10 pence? He was down so fast to pick it up, it hit him on the back of the head. Oh, man, that is... Do you know what? Can I say, even in Scotland, that would get more laughs than that. Um, there we go. I don't know what to say. I might stop now.
It's not just the Scots, is it, though? For many, it's money that makes us jump. And you come to verse 13. Just hear what Jesus says. I think these are, these are terrifically challenging words, aren't they? Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And he speaks of money like it's a, a person, and he tells us we have a choice to make. You cannot serve both God and money. If you start to serve money, it will capture our affections. We'll love it. We'll be devoted to it. And Jesus says, and I think this is the, the striking thing, he says, eventually it will make you hate God. Hate him. So if you're a disciple, this is, this is a serious business, isn't it? You, money is not just, in the way our hearts work with money, it's not a little thing. This is kind of one of those dividing things in life. Which way you go? Will I love God? Or will I go down a path in life that will lead me to hate him? If you're a disciple, we need to choose to serve God. And Jesus has been telling us, look, the kind of master God is, he's not mean, he's not anti-money, he's not against spending, but he wants his people to learn to use money, not to be mastered by it. And he wants us to spend it in ways that are generous and responsible and shrewd. In the Old Testament, there was an amount of money God's people had to set apart. You heard Julia talking about it earlier. She heard it in that talk all those years ago. 10%. It was called the tithe. And I think for many, I'm the same as Julia, I found that really helpful growing as a Christian to have a starting point like that for giving. I think it's a real practical help to think in those ways. The New Testament, as you come on to it, doesn't so much talk in those kind of ways, but in other ways, it, it ups the ante. It doesn't say just forget about that. No, it, it says, it speaks in these kind of ways. It says, think about the generosity Jesus has shown you and pray to be like him in your giving. Not in an unsustainable way. Within the means God gives, I imagine many of you have thought about your giving at church, but I'm just thinking about this. You, you, if you've not thought about it, I think some of the things that, that help with our giving is just thinking about what, what's going on here. We're, we're a church family. There's all sorts of resources. It's nice to have lights on. It's nice to have some heating in the winter. It's nice to have seats to sit on, things that we use. And as a church family, we say, well, let's chip in for that. We all chip in together. Some can give a little, some can give more, and we chip in for those things. And beyond that, because we've got a mission together as a church family where we want to reach out to others with the good news. And at times, there's costs for that, putting on events, having things that we can give away and hand out to people. Those kind of things. We're, we're chipping in as a church family. We're, we're investing in our, our mission here together as we're serving God. I think I've found over the years things that help with my giving is just planning to do it. Uh, thinking about some time to do it and thinking about how much I can give and then and doing it regularly. Uh, Julia mentioned earlier about things set up so it goes out. We don't pass around we don't pass around a basket or a bowl. I remember a church in Glasgow, the bags they passed around, there was little chains across the top. <laughs> so you could drop stuff in but you couldn't shove your hand. <laughs> Because people would try and pull stuff out. That's, that's Glasgow for you. We, we don't do that, but there's, 
There's other ways um, to give. You know, planning, doing it regularly. Show money who's boss. Show money who you love. Even if you're younger and you don't think you've, you've got much or you're in a situation where you can't give very much, a little regularly, it's always easy to add. Often starting, planning, being regular. Now you can think about that. Now if God through Jesus is your master, you'll use money well, but we'll hate it when it tries to capture our affections. I reckon you can hear money trying to capture affections all over Cambridge. You hear the voice saying, if you keep more of me, think of all the things you could have. Outside the Apple store, in a friend's house with a remodeled kitchen. Oh, if I had a bit more to spend, I could get this. Hate money, Jesus says. Whenever you hear those kind of things, choose to serve God. Show money who you love. Jesus began speaking, just as we finish, he began speaking to those who were following him, but listening were some others, and they're religious people. Verse 14, do you, do you see them there? They're, they're almost like a case study. Jesus said that, well, Luke tells us, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of people, but God knows your heart. What is highly valued amongst people is detestable in God's sight, and you you read those words and you realize what these religious men love about money. It's how it makes them look. It's what they use to, well, the word Jesus uses is to justify themselves. It kind of means to pronounce righteous. My money is what makes me okay. It gives me my status. Here's the things I've got with it. And if you think that it'll master you, you'll want more and you'll hate giving it away. And it's a reminder, isn't it? It's possible to be religious and be far away from God. It's possible to give money and not be generous. But if you know Jesus Christ and that he justifies you through his cross and that everything else is a gift from him to you for you to steward, then you'll have money and you'll spend money, but you begin to pray as well. Lord, how can I serve you with this? How can I be responsible? How can I be generous? And how can I show I love and trust you with the finances you put in my hands? Look, if it helps to, to think through, here's a couple of questions. Um, you can, if they help at all, just to give you something to think through or even chat through with a friend. But let me pray and then I'm going to hand back over it to Matt. Lord Jesus, you tell us in many places in the Bible that you want your joy to be in us. And we read through the pages of the New Testament and we find that you were gloriously happy in being generous. And so thank you that when you call us to be generous. It's not our money you're after. It's our happiness. And we struggle to believe that at times, but help us to reflect on these words this week. And would you teach us to use our money in the right way for your glory and our joy. Amen.